0: All right, Friday, December 4th. Welcome back. Another episode. I'm Ryan, always joined by my co host.
1: Also, Ryan.
0: This is another episode of Two Ryan Sports Show. Ryan, we got a big episode today. Uh, we have Bomani Jones, and that interview is going to be amazing. I think people are going to like that.
1: Yeah, I, I love Bomani. I said it about Trey last episode, but I would talk to Bomani every week. So if we could just fill our guest list with them week by week, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Plus, Bomani uh, really dives in on the NFL's uh, diversity with the coaching hires. Uh, We even get into a little bit of NBA talk, uh, college football, his thoughts on that. So that'll be a great interview. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll uh, talk about that right uh, after our college recap. But let's just dive right into it. Uh, Games of the weekend in college. Let's start with Ohio State, Michigan State. The reason this is a big game is not because Michigan State's down uh, and Michigan State did beat Northwestern last weekend, obviously huge win for them and Mel Tucker, but it's really more so on Ohio State side because Ohio State needs this game to and put on a show really against a bad Michigan State team because look, they're trying to get to a Big Ten title game, which probably won't going to happen now because they've had two games canceled, but they're also trying to get to the playoff and they need to prove to the committee that they can stay in that top four.
1: Yeah, well, and, and the reason that I had this circled was to pretty much the exact same reason is because Michigan State is coming off a big win. So they they feel like they have something to play for. But Ohio State is, I don't see any reason why Ohio State doesn't win this game by 35 points. <laughs> it may sound egregious, but I think Ohio State clearly the better team. But that's, to your point, Ryan, that's exactly what they have to do. They have to put on a show because, there are teams right behind them in the playoff committee that are kind of chomping at their, chomping at their heels. Texas a and right there and they own a tiebreaker over Florida, which I think Florida is a great team too. Um, I said it in one of our TikTok videos. I wouldn't mind to watch Texas A&M and Florida play each other again, because that was a great game and probably would be a great game again. And then Cincinnati still undefeated at number seven dark horse, but, I think Ohio State, again, clearly the better of those teams, but they just don't have as much to go on. So they they need to show out on Saturday to be able to do it. But I I think Justin Fields, I think they're all going to come to play. Again, I don't see them winning by any less than 28 points.
0: Yeah, the thing with the season like this, right, where games are getting canceled and postponed, uh, you know, every single day, right, for for the upcoming weekend, a thing in a season like this, if you want to make the playoffs or even make a New Year's Six Bowl – like teams like a and Florida who may find themselves sitting on the outside when all, when it's all set and done is you have to put on an impressive display. And that's what Ohio state needs to do. Look, they could have done it against Indiana, but they fell off in the second half, obviously. So it's all about how you present yourself going forward. And Justin Fields is probably going to be a first round draft pick come April and in, in, uh, early May. It, it's the kind of game that he needs to put on, not just for Ohio state, but really for scouts, because scouts like to see games like this where you play lesser competition, see how you read defenses, see how you play coverage well. So those are the kind of things that um, Ohio State's going to have to battle uh, coming Saturday and, and really have to put on an impressive display. Sticking with uh, teams in the top ten, you mentioned them, AM auburn The reason this game is big is, A, AM's is number five. They're sitting right behind Ohio State. And, B, Auburn actually – could end up winning this game. The reason that they could win this game is because they lost to Alabama last week in such a horrible fashion. And those are the kind of games that teams like Auburn, when most of the year they've been ranked in the top 25, those are the kind of games that teams get tripped up on in quote-unquote trap games. Not really a trap game when Auburn is one of the best teams in the SEC. And I think Kellen Mond is one of the best quarterbacks, 16 touchdowns on the year.
1: Yeah, Gus Malzahn has experience in this league, and clearly he's been around the SEC for a while. So I don't, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that Auburn could give them a game. But I think, again, this is another one of those cases where Texas A&M is, is just a better football team. But I expect Auburn to be in this one a little bit more than, say, Michigan State against Ohio State. And, and, and not to just keep echoing you, but for the exact same reason that you mentioned, Auburn got embarrassed last Saturday. And there is no excuse for them to not want to come out and show themselves in this game, and, and to be able to play spoiler against another division rival that might feel good on their end. I don't think Alabama's the team that they're going to do it to. I I still think Alabama's head and shoulders above everybody else, but in a situation where they could pull out all the stops to beat Texas A and M, it's possible. But Kellen Mond is is going to show up and and clearly play well. Uh, they'll lean on Isaiah Spiller a little bit in the running game too here. So I, I think Texas A&M takes this one easy and and will maintain the five spot in the playoff ranking.
0: Yeah. And like you said, that Florida A&M game, look, if they were to somehow get matched up in a New Year's Six Bowl, I wouldn't be mad. That'd be a game that I would love to see again.
1: Yeah. Well, and and again, I think you could see it turn out the opposite way and that's, that's why I think it would be such a good game is because Florida has clearly put together and, and people are really starting to take notice of Kyle Trask now as a Heisman potentially favorite at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this guy is, this guy's the real deal where he kind of had that same Joe Burrow trajectory of, you know, we know who he is, but we don't think he's that good, but then he's at the top of the Heisman rankings by about week seven, week eight. And, and I mean, it's, I don't think it's out of the question to think that he could win it.
0: Yeah, no, um, couldn't have said it better myself, but sticking with, um, uh, more important matchups that we have this weekend. Um, look, we have Wisconsin, Indiana, number 16, number 12. Uh, this is one of the biggest matchups of the weekend because a Wisconsin needs this game as well, right? Look, they've had a couple games canceled. They would like to put themselves out there, have a big bowl game, come around bowl season time and Graham Mertz. Look, he, as well as he's played for a freshman he hasn't had many games to show for it right you know 605 yards eight touchdowns but Wisconsin's next two games Saturday Indiana that's a top 15 team ranked number 12 Iowa number 23rd in the country that's a nice win for them as well Indiana their schedule if they beat Wisconsin they play Purdue next Saturday and that could be They can find themselves in the Big Ten uh, driver's seat, at least for a possible New Year's uh, Six Bowl. I just think this game has so many interesting uh, factors. Plus, you have Pennix Jr., who's out for the season with an ACL injury. And you have Grant Grimel getting his first start this Saturday. So, I don't know what to think of either of these teams, especially with Pennix Jr. being out. Uh, Where do you lie on this game?
1: Well, it's the the other interesting dynamic to this is if Ohio State doesn't have enough games, if if for some reason another one would get canceled and they don't have enough games to go into the Big Ten championship, Indiana kind of sits alone in the Big Ten East as the team that could move into that, because looking at the rankings, the next closest team is Maryland, and they're two and two overall. So you have a team that's already played six games in Indiana, so they could really kind of control their own destiny to make the Big Ten championship but Ohio state could still make the college football playoff. I I believe we talked about that. It's a very odd dynamic, but that's again, it's 2020. Nothing makes sense. The note that I have of this though, the more desperate team in this matchup is Wisconsin because right now, Wisconsin is third in the West and they're sitting behind Iowa and Northwestern. If they would have won last weekend, I don't think I would feel the same way, but this is going to be them having to come out and win a game that they absolutely need. And this is going to be a game that's won at the line of scrimmage because with Michael Pinnock's out, it certainly changes the dynamic for Indiana and turning to a backup. I mean, again, college football and pro football, you would like to think that the backup's not as, not as bad. You know, it's still a three-star recruit potentially. It's just not the case. The starter's the starter for a reason. Wisconsin's going to control the line of scrimmage and Wisconsin's defense is going to have to win this game. They're going to have to make him check down, throw shorter passes, which I'm sure they're trying to work into the game plan on Indiana's end. But you're right. Graham Mertz doesn't have a lot to show for, her. but the games he's played, he's looked okay. Um, he's looked good in his first couple games last, last game, not so much, but I think Wisconsin's the more desperate team going into this game. And I, I think is going to need it a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And it's also strange, right? Because Wisconsin's always one of those college football powerhouses, blue blood programs if you will but they haven't won a national title um you know they they are constantly in the big 10 race as far as getting to championship games in india at least but it feels almost like them losing to northwestern and the way things are going for indiana losing pennix jr for the season i wouldn't be shocked if wisconsin won this game 24 20 because it's those kind of things where wisconsin bounces right back and they Always find themselves in that situation really I mean look they had the game against Minnesota canceled and that probably would have been a win I just it, it's one of those top ranked matchups where you look at it and you go I don't know either team could find themselves winning on Saturday but I just think Wisconsin it, the way they lost to Northwestern they're going to find themselves back on track and beating Indiana uh, with Indiana losing Penix Jr. but another big one man what what a little nugget this was to come in out of nowhere so with Liberty having you know an outbreak uh, of COVID in the program that was going to be a a nice matchup on Saturday it was going to be Coastal Carolina and Liberty however BYU they're an independent right so what did they do they jumped in and they're going to play Coastal Carolina Man, Zach Wilson, he might find himself one of those quarterbacks in April if he keeps playing the way that he is around 25, 26, maybe an early second round pick like an Andy Dalton from 2011. I mean, the guy's just so good, right? Seventh in the nation, 26 touchdowns, two picks. This BYU team, I don't think they'll make the playoff because I think so much needs to happen in front of them. However, however. This really is essentially an elimination game for a team like Coastal or BYU to make like a Fiesta Bowl or a Peach Bowl or a Sugar Bowl. That's really what this game is because, look, any team, any team ranked who finds themselves unde- undefeated, not in a Power 5 conference, typically 99% of the time gets one of those New Year's Six Bowls. But this game, look, if it's 45-42 on Saturday – I would be happy if it's 24 to 21. I'd be happy if it's three to nothing. I'd be happy because this is one of the best games of the year. And Zach Wilson is one of the funnest college quarterbacks to watch in all of the nation.
1: Yeah, so I, I kept looking. So obviously Liberty and Coastal Carolina would have been a fun matchup to watch, too. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Two great teams of 2020. But then I'm starting to look and do some research into coastal Carolina and BYU and what might set them apart. And as far as numbers, as far as team differential there's not a whole lot of separation between these two teams uh, looking at, you know, scoring offense and, and total defense. They're fairly close in the nation. The one big thing that is, that is a little bit of a difference though, uh, scoring offenses is a slight difference where BYU is ninth in the nation and coastal Carolina is 26th. So Zach Wilson is clearly the difference maker in this game. And, and he is in every game because that's the kind of football player he is. So if Coastal Carolina is going to win this game, yeah, they're probably going to have to, to stay in it in the passing game too. But if they can slow it down with their running back, and, and I may mispronounce his last name, TJ Maribel. Maribel uh, again, I, I apologize. But if they can slow it down a little bit with him and neutralize Zach Wilson, the best way to neutralize a great quarterback is to keep him off the field. You, you always talk about – folks talk about defensive back play and say, uh, you know, our defensive backs have to step up. That's true, but if you can keep him off the field and control the game with a running back like TJ, it's definitely going to slow it down. So that could make the score a little bit less, but you're, you're certainly not going to take all the wind out of Zach Wilson's sails. That's that's fairly obvious based on what's happened earlier this year.
0: Yeah, and look, ESPN has so many channels, okay, <laughs> You know, uh, I always find it funny, the ESPN Osho thing, because doesn't ESPN already have, you know, 8 billion channels? But, look, I don't know how many people still get this channel, but ESPN I mean, I'm going to be able to watch the game. 530, though, it's kind of funny that they haven't moved that to one of the other major ESPN networks. Like, even ESPN2 or, like, ABC or regular ESPN, like, to keep it on ESPN ESPN I find that a little interesting as well, because, look, Coastal Carolina's number 18, BYU is number 13. This is a very interesting matchup on Saturday, and I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be a fun one. But wrapping up the weekend in college football, WVU-Iowa State, Iowa State Big 12 title runner, man, they're going to find themselves uh, sitting pretty probably uh, in, at the Big 12 championship in uh, Dallas, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and, again, a lot of that elevated by their win against Texas last weekend. Um, now, as big as as big as the Big Twelve conference is, with passing, get this, the number one runner in the nation is Brees Hall from Iowa State. They're starting running back. Currently, he's the only running back over a thousand yards in the nation. Third in the nation in rushing, Letty Brown, WVU starting running back. So a game of two teams that like to run the ball and play out of the big 12 style a little bit. So Matt Campbell and Neil Brown, switching it up from that uh, that earlier style of the big 12. I'm sure you remember that game back in 2012 with Geno Smith and against Baylor that was 70 to 63 and you couldn't take a break because there was a score on every drive. Yeah. So this is, this is going to be much different and and to the dismay of many, because we like to see high flying offenses. That's where it's going to be. One is between Brees Hall and Letty Brown on the ground But I think one of the other big factors that comes up in this is West Virginia, they're fifth in total defense in the nation. So that's something to watch. I'm sorry.
0: Nation or conference
1: in the nation. Okay. So they are a, they are a big defensive team for a change in something that they've struggled with in years past. Um, And I think some of that's a change in scheme. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and name names, but a three, three, five defense allowed a lot more open spaces where this defense is a little bit more compact and they've been able to control up front. Of course, the Stills brothers are great. Uh, I think one of the big matchups to watch in this game is, is Jared Deggie against Iowa state's defensive backs and how he's able to pass the ball because so much of this game will be controlled at the line of scrimmage with guys like Hall and Brown, that it's going to take some big plays from Deggie uh, or Brock Purdy on Iowa state's end to be able to win this game. Now, that's not to say one of these guys doesn't break out and have a big game, but you're definitely going to want to watch those matchups of the quarterbacks because that's, that's kind of where the game is going to be, won, right? Again, running backs are going to control it, but quarterbacks are going to have to make plays to win the game eventually.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Brock Purdy, you know, the quarterback that's been there since Clinton administration, um, it feels like a game for him versus Jared Dagey. Jared Diggy needs to play excellent, right? Where Brock Purdy just needs to play average because Ohio, Iowa State, look, they're not going to out-manhandle I don't think they're going to blow them out. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that there is a lot more talent on that side of the ball, the way Matt Campbell's coached them up this season. Plus, Iowa State, like you said, coming off that big win against Texas, the way they won that game where Texas actually could have took it into overtime if the field goal kicker wouldn't have hooked it, you know, two inches to the left. So, I feel like a lot of momentum is riding in Iowa State's favor, with this being the last game for them of the Big Twelve season. Plus, that gives them extra rest. That gives them a lot of like leeway on not having to worry about cancellations going forward. So, you know, because other teams are still going to find them find them in that situation. So, we'll see what happens. But um, sticking with college, not football, but switching to basketball, there's also a big matchup on Saturday. You have number one in the nation, Gonzaga, going against number two, Baylor. And let me tell you, Baylor looked very impressive last night against the uh, fighting Illini. I thought uh, Illinois was going to uh, win that game. Clearly, they were out manhandled. And, look, it's early in the season. It's only December. But those are the kind of matchups that the committee looks at in March when they set brackets and they say, okay, does Illinois need to be a 3, 4, or 5 seed, or do they need to be somewhere in the 6 or 7 range? but Jared Butler played really well last night. And then on top of that, you know, Gonzaga for them being the number one team in the nation and really kind of look, they didn't outpower WVU. Okay. WVU actually shot the ball pretty well and, and and Culver, you know, he rebounded well last night and, and so did Oscar Shibway, but Gonzaga losing Jalen Suggs, however long of a period that is with the ankle that's a big deal and that matchup as great as it is number one versus number two in the nation look we don't ever get these kind of matchups this early on in the season unless they're the champions classic that airs on espn however however for it to be sandwiched in all the college football madness when things are really starting to kick in the, high the gear where teams need to win games to get into bowls whatever it's kind of a shame because it's one o'clock on CBS, but it's going to be one of the best matchups of the day in anything in sports.
1: So this is one of those situations where you might have to have an extra screen to watch it because it will be fun to watch. Um, So regarding Jalen Suggs, you know, looking back at the game against West Virginia, of course, that hurts with his ankle, but what, what impressed me was is him just staying on it and walking around and for him to even just walk back in the game, for a couple minutes and he had a big block at the end of the game. It was it was very – I don't know about you, Ryan, but I thought he was done. Uh, it, I, I might have even thought he was done for the season, the way he was walking off the field and, like, not able to put any weight on his foot at all. So – but it could still affect him going forward. You, you don't know how that injury is going to hurt him and how it's going to hurt the team. But WVU clearly was the more physical team. But I think this is more of a I think this is more of a punch for punch matchup on Saturday, um, a little bit more of guard play. So we'll see how that translates. I'm actually going to turn it on, watch a little college basketball too, because again, you're right, you don't get a lot of these matchups early in the season, uh, and to see how Baylor matches up. Again, I thought Baylor looked great last night against Illinois. Uh, he, they're they're up there for a reason, and their guard plays fantastic. Of course, Jared Butler comes back for his junior year. Uh, much to the excitement of everybody Baylor and to the dismay of maybe everybody else in college basketball. But uh, I think you're going to see a little bit more evenly of a, of a match game on Saturday with some outside guard play from both of those teams. So definitely worth turning into on, on a Saturday college football slate.
0: Yeah. And, you know, real quick, speaking of West Virginia, look, we're West Virginia basketball guys, you know, we're West Virginia graduates. What did you feel about them last night going into that game because look they only had 3 games right but however they really Im- it looks like they really improved it, it, it seems like always a Huggins team can't shoot the ball fr- from outside the paint right or shoot from 3 but last night it felt like they were getting those kind of breaks that they needed to stay in the game look they lost 87-82 but Jared you know Culver and Oscar Shebway, those guys matter those guys matter come big 12 conference play when you're playing the Kansases, you're playing the Baylors look big 12 might be the deepest conference in the country. And, you know, we had Seth Greenberg on and you have those teams, right. And you also have, you know, Oklahoma's that are still coached by Lon Kruger. I just feel like WBU really set themselves up going into a conference schedule later here in the next couple of weeks to really give themselves a shot to possibly finally get the monkey off their back and win a Big 12, you know, whether it's regular season title or conference title. I just feel like that team has really improved.
1: This is one of the best West Virginia teams that I can remember, probably the best one dating back to uh, 2010, the Deshaun Butler Final Four team. So the, the combination of, of Derek Culver and Oscar Shibway below is, might be the best one in the Big 12, and that's going to serve them well. They have to stay out of foul trouble. And, and of course, there's there's always some questionable calls in games. I'm not here to judge officials. That's not my job here. But the best quote that I saw from this, and it was actually a tweet, and I apologize because I, I don't remember whose tweet it was talking about the game as a, as a positive for West Virginia was, this is not a game that was on West Virginia's schedule. West Virginia was not scheduled to play. Bob Huggins calls ESPN and says, we want to play. We want in. And he's able to practice his guys coming off a tournament and and about a week's time to go in and play the top team in the country and give them a very competitive game that was back and forth. And I think in a lot of ways could have gone either way, depending on how shots fall or how some fouls are called. I think if you're a West Virginia fan, you have to feel good about where you're at. Of course, you know, you can believe or not believe in moral victories, but, that is air quotes, a moral victory to go in and and hang with the team as good as Gonzaga this early in the season. And of course, going into a conference late now where you're going to have tough teams, of course, Kansas and Baylor, they've been very tough, but I think West Virginia is in that conversation too.
0: Yeah. And for Tennessee, when they dropped out for WVU to be in the tournament in South Dakota and then do the quick turnaround and go to Indianapolis, you know, two, three days after that, pretty impressive the way they hung with Gonzaga. But look, we're, we're, we're a sports show, you know, we have sports guests on, you know, we're, we're also going to have interesting guests on, but we're, we're not oblivious to other news happening around us. And the reason I bring this up is because there was actually some pretty big news today that's probably going to shape the movie industry going forward, um, or at least for a, a long while. Um, look, our generation is going to be streaming movies or TV shows, you know, watching The Office on Netflix or, you know, whether it's Friends, Seinfeld, whatever, you know, any classic show you want to name that you might watch. Um, but for Warner Brothers today to announce that all movies uh, of 2021 will be going to their streaming platform, HBO Max is a massive, massive deal. And here's why. You have movies like The Matrix 4 that's coming out next year. You have Space Jam July 16th streaming on HBO Max. Now, look, all these movies are heading to HBO Max, but they're also going to be in theaters on the same day. But the reason that this changes things is because, look, if you want to go see a movie on the day it comes out, you can't stream it, right? You you have to wait until, I don't know, five, six, eight, nine months down the road, and then you can stream it on Netflix or Hulu, whatever, uh, for free, You know, as long as you pay your subscriber. But this changes things because we're still in pandemic era and it says to other movie industry uh, studios like Disney and Paramount and Universal which is owned by NBC that hey guys, we're changing the game we're gonna put all of our big stuff on a platform next year and we're gonna make sure people get to watch it at the safety of their homes and still the, the key part about all this is when Mulan came out on Disney plus Ryan and there was a 30 dart Uh, $30 charge, excuse me, uh, where you had to basically resubscribe to watch Milan. This, however, is all the movies are going to be free at streaming as long as you're subscribers. So essentially you're paying 15 bucks unless you want to have like a movie atmosphere and get the popcorn and the soda drinks. I just feel like this news was too big to ignore.
1: Yeah. So let me be very clear about this. I 100% understand that this is kind of a a ripple effect of the pandemic that we're saying we want to stream these movies and want to put them on streaming platforms so we can get them out studios have invested a lot of money in them but i'm not stuttering when i say i want this after the pandemic's over because the movie theater atmosphere if i'm being 100 percent honest is something that i i can't say i like it but it's not something that i crave it's not something that i enjoy right i, I you have to travel, you have to go there. Drinks are expensive, popcorn's expensive. I've had this conversation with my parents many times. I can't seem to understand how you can. So in the case of Mulan, let's just use that as an example here. Sure. It's $30. You're going to go to a movie with maybe four or five friends, close friends who want to see it too. Sometimes why not get them together, take a little cash pool, pop a little popcorn at your house, it's $5 a person, 5 $6 a person. That's cheaper than going to a movie. I, I can't seem to understand how that's not a bigger thing anyway, but it's definitely going to change it going forward. And I think you're going to see everybody react to this and, and pretty much do the same thing because you have to. You can't be behind in that industry to, to make money. And of course, there were films last year that were released straight to Netflix that should have been in theaters. So I I think you're going to see this trend continue. And and in my personal opinion, and and maybe even my own little world, if you will, I love this change. I'm I'm ready for it to happen because if, if you can have friends together to do it and pay a little into it, why not?
0: Right, and I think the biggest thing is, look, we're all still living in the pandemic, right? But the biggest thing, us as consumers, if you will, is we crave content we create stuff that's new we we crave stuff that's fresh and innovative one thing that is going to happen later this month with wonder woman coming to hbo max for free as long as you're a subscriber 50 for 15 dollars that changes the whole ball game because movie studios will now have to look you know maybe not every movie studio does it the the real big thing is how's it affects box office numbers because Wonder Woman, the first film, made $872 million at the box office. What does this do, you know what I mean? Is this gonna have box office numbers? Does it bring in uh, maybe 40 million subscribers or you know things like that? Because of course you're still gonna have people out there sharing, hey, can I get your HBO password to watch Wonder Woman today? Like that, it's still gonna happen, You know, you know that I'm right. But the real pressure going forward for all this kind of stuff is really on Disney. And the reason it's on Disney is Marvel Studios is the most successful movie studio right now that there is and definitely in the world. And what they continue to do, they had Black Widow that could have been released in November on Disney+. All day today when that news got dropped that Warner Brothers was pushing all their movies including Suicide Squad, one of the biggest movies that's gonna come out next year on HBO Max everyone, it's the number one trend worldwide on Twitter right now, Instagram and Facebook, that everyone wants to see Black Widow get pushed to Disney Plus. That's where the real pressure is because studios like Marvel that don't want to sacrifice those kind of things for even in a pandemic, You're going to have to make some of that if you want to keep your fans happy. And I just think it's a smart move. Warner Brothers has changed something drastically that I didn't think would change for a while. Look, I, I thought, you know, and I said it in the Adnan interview, movie theaters, it was going to take a while for them to come back anyway, and I didn't know if they were going to recover. It's stuff like this that will shape the future of that going forward, and you know, Marvel doesn't just have Black Widow coming out next year. They have Marvel Eternals, which is another big movie to set up, uh, you know, another phase, if you will, of the Marvel franchise. I just, it's so interesting and so intriguing. I felt like we couldn't ignore this news and you're right. I mean, how many of us, especially in our age group would rather go to a movie or be able to stream it on Netflix or something?
1: I mean, my, my, a a roku tv you can just pull up whatever app you want and it's right there exactly but but to that point let me let me finalize this by one question for you because they're going to be searching for box office numbers and they may not be able to find that same success in streaming do you think that's going to raise the prices of these platforms because i certainly think you'll see a little jump in prices but also people who may be willing to do it because they want to see that content as soon as they can from the comfort of their house
0: yeah i i I think that's exactly what might end up happening because what you're doing is like, like Netflix and HBO and NBC's uh, streaming platform, uh, Peacock, what they're all trying to do essentially, is they're all trying to get our dollars. And some, you know, some of them might have multiple you know, people who pay for their multiple services, but what they same here, mm-hmm. what they might try to do is they might try to get all this content and then raise the price because if. When Wonder Woman comes out later this month, I promise you that it is going to change a lot of things because a lot of people have been waiting for this movie since June when it was originally supposed to be released. And then it got pushed back to December and they made the hard call to do what they did. It, it That's really going to be the testing part of all this, because with them announcing all their movies are going to HBO Max next year, that's really Wonder Woman's really a, a, a sample, if you will, of how it's going to play going forward, but we had to touch on that. And, uh, I'm I'm glad we did, but Ryan, tell the people who we, I mean, we already told them that we have Omani, but tell them like, it's a good interview.
1: It's a fantastic interview. And, and one thing that you touched on too earlier, uh, him talking about the NFL's diversity policy, that's looking to be instituted with the head coaches. I couldn't have asked for a more complete, thoughtful, fantastic answer for him on that first question Uh, Whenever we confirmed him as a guest, I kind of wrote that down initially to say, I want his thoughts on this because I've listened to his other work and read his articles and he's clearly one of the smartest people out there and certainly was not disappointed by that in our interview. And now our interview with Bomani Jones. All right, we now welcome on the former co-host of Highly Questionable, uh, High Noon, has his own podcast, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, The Evening Jones, a regular on Around the Horn, just an extremely accomplished sports media personality, Mr. Bomani Jones. Bomani, thank you for joining us here on the Two Ryan Sports Show.
2: Hey, man, I really appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, we thank you for your time, and it's it's great to talk to, again, such an accomplished personality like yourself. Um, so the first question that I have here, um. I we're going to dive right into some heavy stuff, but I I just have some thoughts on this and and it's been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks, Uh, the NFL announcing their new diversity initiative. Now I know this has been a a highly, uh, not to, not to sound cliche, but highly questionable. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of, a lot of things on both sides, right? You know, people are saying this is good. This is bad. Um, So in your opinion, looking through this, where, where does something like this succeed where we can, reward teams for hiring diverse staffs but where does something like this fall short in actually accomplishing the the real issue
2: well the reason that i find myself i don't even know if torn is the right way to put it is that to me basically bribing teams to do this is an admission that your guys can't play fair Right, Like you were acknowledging if we ask our guys to play fair, they won't play fair. So now we're going to have to bribe them in order to get them to play fair, but not explicitly admitting that you can't get your guys to play fair. Cause once you do that, now you're in a whole world of legal trouble. And I totally understand it, but it's like, it. I think it's very important for the league to make clear that they're having to do this because they keep asking their guys to act right. And they don't like something that has been forgotten over time is the way the Rooney Rule came into effect in the first place is that Johnny Cochran and another attorney threatened a lawsuit against the NFL behind their hiring practices. And I remember when I was in graduate school, I went to uh, the conference for the uh, American Economics Association. And one of the people who worked with the project was there and their numbers, like just raw statistical analysis was very compelling in order to make the point. And in fact, it went so far as At that time, there had only been five black head coaches in the modern era of the NFL. And keep in mind, this is January 2003, okay? There'd only been five black coaches uh, in the history of the modern NFL. And when they ran the numbers, they found a statistically significant correlation between being a black coach and winning. Like, a black coach was worth, like, one additional win. Now, is that because black coaches are better than white coaches? No what that probably means is that you had to be so damn good to be a black coach just to get a job that you'd be worth an additional win. You know what I mean? Like like this is, it's always required some measure of threat to get people to do something. And now it seems that they're trying to do it where they're trying to give a positive inducement to get people um, on the right side. And I think based on my read and my knowledge of people, you know, around the NFL and stuff, this is something Roger Goodell wants to fix. You know, like I think that this probably starts with him understanding that this is something that they need to do a better job on. But their problem is their owners just don't care. And I think it's past not caring. A lot of them just legitimately believe, even if they wouldn't explicitly say it, they believe that black people are just not capable of doing the job of coaching a football team. And I don't know when we decided that coaching a football team was rocket science, but apparently these guys have determined that. Black folks just can't, for whatever reason, do that job. Or maybe they don't want them to because they want white folks to have those jobs. Like, I don't have a great answer for that. But I think it falls short by not being explicit about what the problem is. But I do think it's encouraging, even if it's just the commissioner of the league, that the commissioner of the league does seem to care about this. Because the truth is, people complain about this every January, like when the hiring cycle comes around but nobody's talking about turning off their TVs because of this or anything like, like black people. ain't talk about turning off their TVs on the basis of this. So they don't quote unquote have to do this, you know? So I do think it's good that somebody's trying at least. I just don't think that this is going to work. Like, I don't think a third round pick is going to be enough to induce people to not hire. Like if you, if, if you really believe that a certain coach is the one that you want to hire a third round pick is not going to be the thing to make you not hire that coach.
1: Well, and, and to your point real quick, you know, I, I think you talk about, I don't know when you decided that coaching a football team was rocket science. Just looking at some of the blackhead coaches over the last couple of years, uh, Mike Tomlin, yeah. Lovie Smith, a lot of success in Chicago, Tony Dungy, a Hall of Fame coach. I think it can be done. I don't know if <laughs> I, oh, I you know, think there's a the lot thing. of science there here's that the says we they know can it win can, can, games. Yeah, we
2: know it can be done, right? We have nothing to indicate that it can't. The problem is most coaches don't win right? Like the majority of coaches are not good. The ones who are stick around and they build up impressive win-loss records, but like whatever the gap is, like Bill Belichick's overall one-loss record. Like I don't know what it is, right? But whatever his gap between wins and losses, the worst coach is never going to have that big a gap because he's never going to get to coach for 20 years, right? Right. So Belichick can coach for 20 years, basically going 11 and five every year. Nobody's going to go five and 11 every year and keep their job. You know what I mean? And so most of like you know, it all balances out to 500, but the bottom is going to be filled with a bunch of coaches who aren't that good, who get a little bit of time, and then they might get a little bit of time somewhere else, right? And then they're going to be down there at the bottom. The thing is, there's so many white dudes who get to coach that you always wind up with enough to balance it out at the top end. And you could be like, well, we know white people could coach because we have X, Y, and Z. Like the fact that you had the Super Bowl that year where Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith were coaching against each other, Mike Tomlin has been to two Super Bowls. Like the fact that we even have people like that to point to is actually quite the indication of black people being able to do this job. And I think that one thing we can never do and we have to be careful about, and it could be easy to do, not even out of malice, right? But just because of the way that these things are always talked about is, the question is never whether or not black people can do this, right? No matter what it is that we're talking about in this, that's never the question. The question always is why in the world are people so afraid to let black folks just Mm -hmm. give it a run, right? Just like even with the Rooney rule, which only mandates an interview, they're not even making you hire nobody. They just saying you got to get somebody in the office to talk to them about it. And people like, like that's too much, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Omani, uh, (sighs) What in the world are we doing in college football, man? We got 15
0: games two weeks ago that were postponed due to COVID. We got 18 this past weekend. It's like all these athletic directors are saying, okay, hey, we're just going to fix the problem down the road, put the game on December 19th, December 22nd, whatever it is, um, and we're just going to try to play the game so we can get a, you know, a peach bowl or an orange bowl bid. Like what in the world are we doing in college football, man?
2: Trying to fulfill these television contracts, man. (laughs) like that's the bottom line is i think we've all worked jobs that pay by the hour before right you don't come work that hour you don't get paid for that hour that is where we are right they can't get this money if they don't get these games on television and so they are trying to get as many games on television as they possibly can like to me All every game that gets canceled is a loss just because of what the circumstances are that surround having to cancel the game and what that all means and so forth and so on. I think for them, every game they get on television is a win. Like every single one that they can get on. And so they can get those checks for getting those games on it's a win. And so they're going to do whatever it takes to try to get the games on. And that's why this Florida state Clemson thing I thought was very interesting because Dabo Sweeney, one of his big things about that was we fulfilled the requirements to play the game, right? That whatever was checked off on all the boxes, they fulfilled those requirements. And Florida state is saying, you just had a dude who was positive on the plane with the rest of the team. We're not going to play against you. Right. And I don't think that's something that you really have to answer for. Like, I think that's pretty simple and understandable, but what terms did Dabo put it in? We just burned $300,000 because this is coming down to getting this money, man. All right. And I don't, I'm actually not as down on them about getting the money as I think some people would assume because I don't think that this is simply about people being greedy and wanting to pocket the money. I think this is about a lot of people having bills to pay. Right. Like it's one thing to go do something just because you need some money so that you can buy something fancy. It's another thing is you need some money because you got to pay this money to somebody else. And I think for a lot of them, especially these, stu- these schools that have long term debt loads from stadium upgrades and from building facilities and stuff like that, they got to go get this money and they're going to send these kids out here to go and get this money in any way that they possibly can. And so I don't know what this is going to look like at the end, right? Because look, if they call it a playoff and they have a bracket, we're going to watch it and we're going to treat it like a championship, right? Like that's just, that's just how it goes. That's who we are. I don't know what's going to happen though. If they get down there and one of those teams can't put 53 players out there. Now, all of a sudden we're talking about something different. I don't, you know, I don't know what the game is going to be in that regard, but they are just going to try to play as many games as they can. My network and the other partners are going to put as many of those games on television as they possibly can because everybody all that effort for all parties involved the money they getting has already been spent
1: oh yeah well and, and universities are all operating pretty much at a loss this year anyway and they're trying to cut money where they can so one place they can make that up is athletics but yeah. obviously that in terms university
2: of- and universities have no idea what to do right like this is their problem is they got too many smart people that work there that are telling them this is a horrible idea guys all right right they're like yeah but we, we kind of got to get them back. Why? We just kind of sort of have to. Their parents want them to come back to school. We're going to charge them full price. You know, like all those things come together. And so it is like we're about to, it's just, it's going to be better for the players that Thanksgiving has come, you know, because all these infected kids are going home and most of them are not going to be coming back. Cause most of the schools are saying, please stay away after you have left and the players, it may be the best thing in the world for them that they are still on campus and nobody else is there.
1: Yeah. I, I work for a university and that's, that's what we're doing now. So that's that to your point, I hope that's the case and it lowers the infection rate, but well, to be determined, I suppose. Um, I want to switch gears with you real quick. Um, some recent NBA news. Um, I know this is a closed-ended question, but I'm, I'm sure you you're, have feelings on this too. Is, is Jason Tatum worth 200 million dollars?
2: First of is, all, they they made a is question he the that answer? I, yeah they made a question I can't open in, so don't you worry about that part. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's
2: that's how I got here. It's be like oh I got an answer for you. Um, so with Tatum, Tatum is a 40 million dollar player, right? Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, he's a player that you give 40 million dollars a year to right now because i would definitely guess that in two years if you don't think that jason tatum is a 40 million dollar player you will think at that point i mean he's a max player in the nba and so right or wrong your best player if he's anywhere near the caliber of jason tatum is gonna cost you 40 million dollars like if this if somehow jason tatum was a free agent somebody else would be setting up to pay him 40 million dollars a year now what i don't know about him is Just how far you can go with him as your best player and making forty million dollars a year. And so, when I say that, I mean they've gotten to a conference final with Jason Tatum as their best player, more or less. Like his rookie year, he was more or less their best player by the time it all got done, and they got to a conference final with him. But that's with them making four or five million dollars a year, or something like that. And Jalen Brown making like four or five million dollars a year, or something like that. And at that time, Isaiah Thomas wasn't making that money, taking that much money, and so forth and so on. So how easily can you build a team around him if he's making $40 million a year to that? I say they were also paying Gordon Hayward 30 something million dollars a year, and they didn't have a championship contender, but they did have a team that could contend to win the East, right? Like I do, I do think they actually had that. So I think you can do okay with him making that kind of money, but I'm very interested to see like as Kimball Walker gets older on that contract he has, for example, I'm curious to see what this team like ultimately turns into. Cause I don't think they're going to miss Hayward at all. I just don't think that's I even mean, he was, I think that people have started to bag on him in a way that's unfair. He was good last year. Like he was about as good last year as he was in his best years at Utah, but I think that they can replace what he gave with the guys that they have. Cause they just have so many wings. Like, I think they can figure it out.
0: Bo, uh, last question uh, for you on my end. Um, so the NBA season, you know, it, it's coming right around the corner. Lakers heat. They had it's crazy, season, right? Crazy. <laughs> It
1: just had, ended like a week uh, ago, it feels
0: like. Wait, right. by the time the season starts, uh, I saw that the Lakers and Heat will only have 72 days off from the finals to December 22nd when the season tips off. Where teams who didn't make the bubbles, like the Knicks, for the dumpster fire that they are, though, they had 215 days off. They didn't even go to the bubble. And before you answer that, is Dan ever going to stop making fun of you for that sound bit of you and Shannon? Help me out? No. Never. Never. <laughs> no? never,
2: okay. never. And I'm never going to forgive. I got a lot of people I don't forgive for how that went. <laughs> for the big one was it happened on my show some dude in bristol who i don't even know i think i think in retrospect it was the tony dude that's on the show now but i'm not sure he decided to send that in but we're not friends i don't know him we're not buddies right and so this happens and then one day they told me that he was up in the office i was like cool put him on the microphone because i was in either new i was in new york he's in new york or miami i can't remember which and they do was in bristol and they put them on and i said something. he was scared he was scared to death and see that's how you know you shouldn't have done that right you should have had nothing to be afraid of right why was, why why was you afraid um but so the thing about that time gap in the bubble though the biggest winner on that to me is the warriors right they like they didn't go to the bubble um draymond green i guess is the only like real part there that you think about like wearing and tear miles and stuff like that but they're gonna have steph back They have a bunch of dudes who did not go into the bubble and play. Like they have Kelly Oubre who went in there for a couple of minutes. And then once the Suns are out, he was out. And then we'll go from there. Like, I think they'll wind up having the biggest advantage um, from that. But this goes back to what we talked about. They got to get these games on TV. Um, In order to get the TV money in the NBA, as I understand it, the season has to be 72 games. And so they're going to get. 72 games one way or another they're going to find a way to get 72 games and that means that they're going to have to start in december so i understand why the players don't want to do it but the nba also and i think that this was a smart play on their part they want to get back onto their regular schedule like the world is not built for the nba draft to be in november it's not built for an nba finals game to be on a sunday with nfl football you know, and all of those things like it, 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 they can't win under those circumstances. So they're going to have to do all this. There's, there's just no way around it. They're going to have to do it. It is going to be agony for a lot of the Lakers and for a lot of the um heat. But the counterpoint is they got three months off before it. Right. Like there's something to that fact. Like they're, they're not coming in off of seven or eight months like we see very often. That's not what's going on here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it certainly creates a unique situation where you have a team like the Lakers, but obviously fronted by one of the greatest basketball, if not the greatest basketball player of all time. They're yeah. certainly going to be ready to play. There's not going to be much of a gap coming out of the bubble.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's just like the people talking about, well, LeBron's going to do all this load managing this year. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's no no chance in the world. Let me tell you the last thing LeBron wants. is like Anthony Davis to become the man while he ain't there. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to them. No, that ain't going to happen.
1: LeBron will put up 30 a game. We we yes. have full confidence in that. That's he's, that's what he does.
2: He's the most unreal physical being that we have ever had any measure of exposure to.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and certainly even as he ages, he's still a, he still must see television, regardless of, regardless of where you're at. So look, look well, let
2: me run, let me run something crazy by you that I saw today. So apparently Brian Winhurst is saying that um if Giannis doesn't sign the Supermax with the Bucks that Anthony Davis will sign a two-year deal with the second year being a player option. And that way his contract would expire at the same time as LeBron's does. And then the two of them would try to recruit Anthony Davis, you know, to come play for uh, the Lakers. And the wildest part about that is LeBron is two years deep into that four year deal. He signed with the Lakers at the end of that deal. He will be a 19 year veteran. And all of us are sure that he will play a 20th season in the NBA at a level similar to what he's playing right now. Like, that's crazy for us to assume. Like, I'm never the guy that assumes the old guy is just going to keep being good. I, I, I can't turn away on this one yet.
1: It doesn't stop. His level of production is is still at the top tier. And, and you when, when you're talking about a guy every single year in a sport like that that seemingly gets younger and younger as, as an MVP candidate every year, you, you know you're dealing with the best. Oh,
0: yeah. um, To me, real real quick on that point, Giannis is probably going to sign the Max and stay in Milwaukee because Giannis doesn't strike me as the guy who's going to join another team in the NBA, like go to New York or go to Brooklyn, like Kyrie or uh, KD, because Giannis wants to be the man. And especially the way the criticism is the last two seasons, the way it's ended for them. He wants to bring a championship to Milwaukee. I mean, I think it's eaten away at him a little bit. I I don't think he's going to go anywhere.
2: I think that I think there's something I normally don't think there's something to that, but I do think there is in this case. Now, I think there's a distinction that I would make, um, which is I think if he had a friend in the way that Kyrie and Kevin Durant have each other, like LeBron and Dwayne were with Miami, I think he might be willing to go do something like that. Right. But I do agree with you that going to play behind LeBron James is not something that I can see him doing. Like that was one of the things with Kawhi Leonard, for example. And I, and Jimmy Butler also felt this way. I don't want to come ride shotgun to LeBron because the thing about being on a team with LeBron is Everything is about LeBron for whatever reason. Anthony Davis is wired in a way where he can handle that. It like that got to be a problem for Kyrie. Like Kyrie was leaving the Cavs at the same time that I was leaving Highly Questionable, so I understood in a different way than most people did what the situation was. Now, I didn't have beef with highly questionable, like he had with the Cavs, right? But you just got to get to a place sometimes where you want you want something that's yours, you know? Like, you're in something, it's all our team, but you know that the team is somebody else's. And you don't necessarily got a problem with that person, but you want to go do something that is on your own. So, like, I understand that idea and that feeling. And so, I don't think the Giannis would want to go to L.A. and be like, waiting 15 minutes for the plane to leave because LeBron still ain't got here. But you better be here on time before the playing game, you know, like those kinds of things. I don't think that he is the guy who wants to do this. And I don't think, unless I don't think that LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to be able to get a third guy of that caliber to come play for them because ego makes it such that somebody's not going to want to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, certainly. Well, and it, it didn't affect him this year, but as they move through that, that could certainly. Very down the line, but I have one more question for you, Babani, before we let you go. Uh, Certainly, you've been very gracious with your time. This is a little bit more lighthearted. So, we grew up in the Around the Horn era. We're fans. Mm. We used to watch it after school, after work. Who's your most worthy opponent?
2: (laughs) That's a good question. Let me think. You know, Bill Plasky inexplicably has the best FaceTime record against (laughs) me. Like, it's wild lopsided by a uh, FaceTime record against Bill Plashkey in ways that just confuse me. And my mom would be calling me like, I don't understand how he keeps the score. And I'm like, yeah, I don't understand how he keeps the score either. Like I I, I, I wind up being back in the same position of confusion. Like Bob Ryan's a tricky one, because Bob Ryan knows so much stuff. And then you never know when Bob Ryan is going to go the full Bob Ryan on you. And one thing I came to understand after I'd done the show for a little while that I did not get is those moments where Bob Ryan goes full Bob Ryan. And I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to oh, describe yeah. it. Those happen in real life too. Like those happen on conference calls. Those are not television devices that is just who Bob Ryan is. I love that dude. That's just who he is.
1: Interesting. Well, that, that certainly, I, I, I can see that, that that certainly makes sense. It puts it into perspective, but, um, we'll, we'll take Bob Ryan and I'll certainly root for you as, as we go on, you'll be my number one choice. Hopefully we can get you a few more points in there episode to episode.
2: Appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Bomani, again, we really appreciate it. You've been very gracious with your time. Um, as we go into the holiday season and in this second wave, as we like to call it, uh, I hope you, your family, loved ones, everyone that you're close to, everybody continues to stay safe. Um, and and hopefully we'll talk again down the line.
2: Oh yeah, we keep an eye as it's inside. It's gonna take a burglar, <laughs> a superhero, Spider Man to come in here and get it to me. Like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to come break in here in order to put that on me. I appreciate you guys, man. Keep up the good work.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again. All right, no problem, man. Ryan, wow,
0: what an interview,
2: right?
1: I love, I, I, I feel like I say this every interview, but I love Bomani,
0: And he's, he was so insightful about the, the diversity and even the NBA, talking about Jason Tatum and, you know, the contracts and, and why they're playing the season so early. It, it's so fascinating to me because he really is one of the most intelligent guys um, in, in our business um, and I'm glad we had him on, and hopefully we can get him back on uh, someday soon. But let's uh, go to our NFL preview. Ryan, is Tennessee in the playoffs right now, or do they just keep finding themselves in essential playoff elimination games? Two weeks ago, Baltimore, right? Last week, Indianapolis. This week, they play Cleveland, the human wrecking ball, first in the league, 1257 rush yards, 12 touchdowns. I mean, he is a human wrecking ball. Watch out for that guy, right? Ryan Tannehill, one of the best quarterbacks in the league this season. 23 touchdowns, four interceptions, 2,608 yards. I mean, I said it last episode. I'll say it again. That's the quarterback Miami thought when they drafted him as a wide receiver in Texas A&M who transitioned to quarterback, found himself picked number eighth overall. This is a huge game. And Baker, he's not having a bad season either. 17 touchdowns, seven picks, and the Browns are allowing 108 rush yards per game. In a guy and the human wrecking ball who is just going to steamroll anyone that he finds in his way.
1: Yeah, well, and and clearly Derrick Henry is is a matchup problem. But um, let it be known too that Tennessee's given up 115 rushing yards a game playing a team that runs the ball almost equally as well as they do. Uh, I of course I think of the three running backs in this game: Derrick Henry for Tennessee, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt for Cleveland. I would take Derrick Henry as the better of those three. Um, but the rotation between Chubb and, and Hunt could certainly create problems for Tennessee on the back end too. One, one interesting matchup in this though, uh, looking at the passing defenses, is that Tennessee is 28th in the league in passing defense. So Baker Mayfield may be used a little bit more in this game than you think. Again, I think this is a game that Again, I wouldn't be shocked if this game was 10-7, to seven, just based on how well these teams run the ball and how well they can control the clock. But you may see Kevin Stefanski put it a little bit more in Baker Mayfield's hands just because he knows he can he can have those matchups that he wouldn't normally have against other teams. Cleveland's 20th in the league in pass defense, so not, not very much better. But I think this could be a Baker Mayfield game a little bit more so than than you think. So be on the lookout for that. But certainly this game is going to be at the line of scrimmage and, and on the ground. You, you can't ignore how good those three running backs between these two teams are.
0: Yeah, and at the time of this recording, though, Kareem Hunt's questionable, so we'll see what happens with him on Sunday. But before we get to the rest of our weekend preview, why don't we stick with the AFC North? Um, Wednesday afternoon football, were you ready? Yes, I was. Baltimore-Pittsburgh, 1914. That's a classic game. I will say, though, uh, at the end of the first half, for the refs not to stop the clock when Pittsburgh was clearly laying on Baltimore to get the time to expire, little ridiculous. Uh, whatever you know, it was what it was. Um, it. You know, and RG3 missed the pass really to Luke Wilson anyway. So, but it, you know, they could have got a field goal, whatever. Then RG3 goes out with a hamstring. Trace McSorley comes in. Doesn't look great, right? But he throws that pass to Marquise Brown, and, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. And Ravens kind of used their timeouts in weird spots, I thought, really blowing all their timeouts before the two minute warning. They had one left after the two minute warning. I do understand, though, coaches that always call timeouts before the two-minute warning, but I didn't understand why he burnt two so fast um, when there was about 2.30 left on the clock uh, before he used the second one. So I I didn't understand. Um, What was your thoughts on the Wednesday afternoon football game? Uh, kind of interesting to watch too, right? Uh, the, the way that um, they were doing that whole game with, uh, they had Goodell at halftime and he was talking about, you know, they're, they're not going to do playoff bubbles, which I still find ludicrous that the, you're not even considering that um, because it's worked for every other sport, um, especially hockey and baseball. Um, and let's not forget the NBA was in a bubble for three months. So what was your thoughts on the, on the whole process yesterday, Wednesday afternoon, 340 kickoff.
1: <laughs> a game that weird just knowing what happens and the outcome of it deserves to be played on Wednesday is as strange as that game was in every respect. uh, The first thing that I, I really promised myself that I would do. I think you got to give credit to the Ravens. Now I, I understand that there's contention in the, in the Steelers camp from moving the game back so many times and you know, they're not happy about that. Fans aren't happy about that. Baltimore pulls up 10 or 11 guys from their practice squad and competes in a game where they didn't have much practice throughout the week. Trace so McSorley. Th- yeah, Trace McSorley. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was a stat on Twitter last night uh, that basically said, now minimum attempts in the NFL this season, Trace McSorley has the best passer rating. This is where we're at with stats in this society is, is that we're minimizing it to six attempts to justify how good – I digress. I have whatever anyway. um, But Baltimore, I think you have to give them a lot of credit because they came out without their two best running backs who are game changers and Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. And speaking of game changers, did you know they had the league MVP last year? He didn't play either. So this is definitely a depleted Ravens team, but I think that's a testament to how good this rivalry is and also how good of a coach John Harbaugh is. Because he's clearly had this team ready to play every year that he's been there, and and Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore is always a weird game, no matter how good or bad teams are. Uh, looking at it from Pittsburgh's side, though, they drop so many passes, and, and I understand some of them are behind the receivers or maybe a little bit low, but ones that hit him in the hands and you have to you have to move it, and of course the special teams fumble hurts. Uh, you you mentioned the play with Luke Wilson at the end of the first half. Uh, give credit on that side too to Minka Fitzpatrick for knocking it out of his hands on the way down, because it didn't survive the ground to go down. So that was turned out to be a very big play in the game. I think every team gets bad games, and and Pittsburgh is criticized for being eleven and zero as extremely overrated. I don't I wouldn't call it overrated. I think you have to win comfortably and win ugly too and you don't understand baltimore's always scrappy that's always going to be their mo that's always going to be how they are but it's it's looking bleak in baltimore right now 6 and 5 outside of the playoff picture it's this is a this is a tough look for baltimore right now and and not in a bad way i mean everyone's entitled to a bad season but baltimore's baltimore's on a little bit of a spiral right now
0: Yeah, and people were talking, uh, you know, we mentioned it two weeks ago when no one thought it was possible, to tell you the truth. No one thought it was possible, really. But we were talking about it two weeks ago that if they lost to Tennessee, they could miss the playoffs. That's the way things have looked going forward. Now, look, the outbreak certainly doesn't help, right? But what I don't understand about the outbreak, and we'll talk about the Washington Pittsburgh game that's on Monday at five here in, in a few moments. But one thing I don't understand is how Dallas got the short end of the stick and all this to tell you the truth uh, with that game being moved to Tuesday. Um, Dallas is going to have a full, full long rest, essentially a whole bye week. Uh, Cause they played on Thanksgiving. Look, they're not going to play tonight when the game was originally scheduled. Now they're going to play on Tuesday. That's 12 days rest. I mean, that is so, so huge for Dallas, a team look as bad as they are this season If they beat Baltimore, that's essentially Baltimore's really not looking good, right? Because they'll drop to six and six. They have a tough schedule going forward. I just, I don't understand how they got the short end of the stick and, you know, maybe could have even pushed that to Wednesday, give, you know, Baltimore a little bit rest.
1: Counterpoint, does 12 days of rest really help Dallas? Yeah. Because (laughs) that's what, that's where the NFC East is this year is, is that we're, that I'm thinking in my mind. You're 100% right. 12 days of rest is great, but is it really going to benefit a team that much this year, especially from the NFC East (laughs) that's already depleted and it's just a dumpster fire division anyway? Fair enough,
0: fair enough. I I do think, though, there is something to the fact that having as long as a rest as they will have going into that game on Tuesday at 8 o'clock helps them, helps them in a big way. But uh, Sticking with AFC playoff picture, Raiders, 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 all day. Vegas, baby. Uh, Vegas Jets. uh, The reason this is on our marquee games, look, we like Vegas. We think they're going to make the playoffs. I do still think there's a little part of me, little part of me, that they're that team that lost to Kansas City, lost to Atlanta. There's a part of me that thinks even if they make the playoffs – this team is good and when they're good they're really good but when they're bad it's not on Derek Carr it, it feels like they're not running the ball as well when they're bad and <clears throat> Josh Jacobs is questionable and the Jets look they're the worst team in the league right they're 0-11 but it's very hard to go 0-16 and I actually think even though Vegas will make the playoffs I do think the Jets are going to win this game and here's why Jets have lost three of their last five by one scorer. That's so tough to do. That's so tough to do unless you're the Chargers. I mean, this game is interesting, right? Derek are 19 touchdowns, four picks on the season. He's playing well. He's He could have the Raiders in the playoffs. I, I think they will. You think they will. I just, I don't know. I feel like they're going to end up tripping here and losing to the Jets maybe.
1: So we're talking about the Jets, and we joke about the quarterbacks in college football that have been around a while. Uh, one of the reasons the Jets have been okay the last couple of weeks is Frank Gore, a running back that was around to meet Teddy Roosevelt. So that, that, is, a, that is an old man in the NFL who is, still, who is still doing big things. But So one of the, one of the interesting things about the AFC this week in, in part of the Raiders matchup is just looking at the wild card picture. So looking at the wild card picture of the AFC, currently as we record this episode, of course, we'll talk again next week after the games, Cleveland is fifth. So Cleveland is playing Tennessee, who is currently third in the, in the playoffs. They're first in the NFC South. Of course, Cleveland's behind Pittsburgh. Miami is sixth, and they are playing Cincinnati this week. So theoretically, you would see that as a win. Indianapolis – They took a big hit by losing to Tennessee, right? So now they're seventh in the playoff picture, and they're playing the Texans. Now, again, the Texans may even sound like a game that you would say, uh, yeah, that's not going to be that big of a deal. But Deshaun Watson has came out and played the last couple games, beating the Patriots, beating beating the Lions. Maybe not the best teams, but still winning games. So then the Raiders, who are eighth now playing the Jets, they have, an, they, they have to win this game because if they lose this game, they are going to most likely lose out behind, uh, again, theoretically, a team like the Colts that beats the Texans and the Dolphins playing the Bengals. They can't afford to lose pace in this division, or this conference, I should say. So if, if the Raiders lose this game by some miracle of the Jets, I think your playoff picture changes a little bit, and, and our playoff prediction certainly looks a little bit more bleak on their end, but – you would hope that the Las Vegas Raiders can handle business against the 0-11 New York Jets.
0: Yeah, I I really think, though, part of me feels like, you know, there's not trap games in the NFL. Like, it's not college. There are never trap games in the NFL. What there is in the NFL is anyone can beat anyone on a Sunday, and I know that's cliche to say, and I know it's really blah, but the Jets are as bad as you can be and they can still find a way to win this game. Um, And part of me, I think, believes that because they have lost three of their last five by one score. I will say, uh, remember when everyone thought Sam Darnold was the answer? Uh, He's not, okay? And you have Joe Flacco coming in and taking snaps with Frank Gore in 2020. Uh, Talk about a weird year anyway, but you have those two guys taking snaps because Sam Darnold isn't playing well. Yeah, that guy's not a franchise QB, uh, on to the next one. You,
1: you, but but we have said in the past, we talked about Ryan Tannehill. You pulled him out of Adam Gase's offense, and you're like, wow, Ryan Tannehill actually looks competent if you put him in an offense that makes sense. So I'm not saying that Sam Darnold could be there, but there is evidence to suggest that maybe he could be that. Now, I, I, I think even just comparing the two, I would believe in Tannehill more, but I would be interested to see if Sam Darnold went somewhere else and if it would be if it would be any different than what it is in New York, because it certainly can't be much worse.
0: No, and it also drives me real quick about Adam Gase, how that one season he had with Peyton, everyone assumes he's this offensive genius. He's not. <laughs> uh, if you look at his offensive uh, records, as like a you know league whether it's scoring or offensive ranks uh, every year since he's been a head coach, whether it was in Miami or New York, it's always been anywhere from 26 to very last uh, in the league. That's not an offensive guru. That's a guy who just doesn't know what he's doing as a head coach and more of a coordinator role than a head coach role, but moving along, man, it stinks that this game is sandwiched in between witching hour and before the 4:25 uh, games on CBS, because it is Arizona in the Rams at 4.05, the weird time slot that, you know, sometimes you'll get a game like this that's sandwiched in there, and it's no fault of their own. It's just who has the America's game and who's the late West Coast game that gets sandwiched into that. And that's what this one is. But you have Jared Goff, 16 touchdowns on the year, 3,021 yards. Kyler Murray, 19 touchdowns, nine picks. And the really the story between this is the offenses anyway. Rams are doing three hundred ninety-nine yards per game. Arizona four hundred eleven yards per game. This game, if it wasn't for the witching hour, everyone would be glued to this at the four hundred five slot.
1: Yeah, well, this—I mean, this clearly should be a four twenty-five game because this has huge implications in the NFC playoff picture. So we talked about the AFC playoff picture. So Seattle is currently sitting at first in the West and third in the in the overall. But behind them in that division are the Rams at seven and four, currently fifth, and then the Cardinals at seventh at six and five. So, this is a game with two teams coming off losses that probably shouldn't have been losses who absolutely need this game. And, and make no mistake, Minnesota is not some superstar team. But they're playing the Jaguars this week. And, and theoretically, again, you sh- they should win that game to move themselves to six and six. So let's just say, looking ahead, the Rams win this and the Cardinals are at six and six. We could be talking about a great Cardinals team that misses the playoffs. Now, that's barring that Minnesota turns around and, and leaps them in the playoff picture there. But one thing to watch as good as Arizona's offense has been, LA's defense has been just as good. Second total defense in the NFL and fourth in points per game. They've really stepped up, especially over these last few weeks. Now, again, last week kind of being a a weird thing with that losing to the 49ers, but they've really stepped up. And I've said this before and I'll continue to say it again. You can't count out a defense that has Aaron Donald in the middle of it because just him alone is a human wrecking ball on the defensive side. I would love to see Aaron Donald in a one-on-one matchup with Derrick Henry. Yeah. Now that I say that, that would be a fun, just like a scrum in, in the XFL. That's who you put out there, but that's, that, that might be another point for another day, but this game really matters a lot more, more in the wild card picture, because I assume that Seattle will distance themselves in the NFC West and will be more competing for seating up top. But again, if the Cardinals lose this game, they, they theoretically could miss the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I I still believe, though, that all three of those NFC West teams will make the playoffs. And there's actually kind of an interesting scenario where San Francisco can make the wild card as well. And that would be pretty amazing to watch, right? Because of the playoffs expanding, we've never had four teams from the same division before making the playoffs. And that would be just amazing to watch especially with Nick Mullins being the quarterback for that 49ers team
1: but well, and the Bears also at five and six playing the Lions so again theoretically you would think that the Bears should win that game and if the Cardinals lose you have three teams at six and six right there fighting for the last spot
0: yeah with the Bears though starting out at five and one and losing their last five in a row <laughs> not not <laughs> ideal for them to make the playoffs um but I you know, I, I don't know that NFC playoff picture, right? It's so jumbled. It's so it's so confusing because you don't know who's good from week to week and, and who's going to rise to the cream of the crop. And and I honestly don't know at this point if we know who is the front runner. I mean, is it New Orleans because they're number one? I don't think so.
1: Well, let me put a scenario out there for you. And I, I have a couple notes notes on, on just this game specifically. So the Saints right now are number one in the NFC playoff picture, right? They're nine and two. Uh, fun fact, if you're keeping score, they would be the third ranked team in the AFC with an 11-0 Steelers and a 10-1 Chiefs team. But in, anyway, the Saints 9-2 and two, are number one. They're playing the Falcons this week. Now, again, that theoretically sounds like a matchup that they should win. Matt Ryan's fifth in the NFL in passing. Now, Julio Jones may not play, but he's proved that he can win without Julio Jones. Let's say the Falcons come out, start hot, and put it into a kind of a shootout scenario with the Saints. Are you trusting Taysom Hill to get into a shootout scenario with Matt Ryan? Not saying it happens, but let's say that the Falcons win that game. Packers and Seahawks are both eight and three. Uh, the Packers are playing the Eagles, which I'm sure you have your own thoughts on. Uh, but then the Seahawks playing the Giants, which also matters a lot for both teams because the Seahawks need to keep pace and the Giants being first in the, in the East. There's no separation. It, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams separate themselves coming out of this at the end. I think it's a three-way battle kind of up top, right? With, with uh, the Giants kind of being the lowly team in the East or whoever separates themselves there. But those three teams, the Saints Packers and Seahawks, and truthfully, if the Rams win this game, they're right there too knocking on the Seahawks door for the West. So the the NFC has a lot to pay attention to the last couple of weeks of the season.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Green Bay, Philadelphia. Let me just dive right into it, okay? Because I <laughs> saved is yours my friend. <laughs> <sighs> I saved my thoughts from the Monday Night game. It's just it's disgusting, it's gross. And it's irresponsible what they're doing in Philadelphia for them to put Jalen hurts in for one snap, essentially two, I guess, let's say two snaps because it was, and then to take him out, what in the world are you doing? And I saved these for the show because it's mind boggling. Carson wins 15 interceptions, most in the NFL,
1: 46
0: sacks, Look, you can blame sacks on the quarterback. You can blame sacks on an offensive line, however you want to do it. But 46 sacks, most in the NFL. 95 off target. Let me say that again. 95 off target incompletions, most in the NFL. It is gross to me that they continue to keep him in. When the division – to tell you the truth, even though Washington and New York are both four and seven, the division is not out of anyone's reach, right? It's still, like, up for grabs. It really is. And you continue to keep him in the game when he doesn't give you the best chance to win. And I know I've switched my opinion on this from just a couple weeks ago when I wanted them to keep Carson in the game. But after Monday, that's gone, that's done because they had a chance to win that game. They had a chance at some point. They had a chance. <laughs> you know, maybe it was in the first quarter. Maybe it was in the second. But when they put Jalen Hurts in, if 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 Philly was there, if if fans were allowed in Philadelphia Eagles Lincoln Financial Field, fans would have been clapping. Fans would have been clapping. That's what it would have been because when Kevin Kolb got benched. Because Andy Reid thought Kevin Cole was the next guy after Donovan. When Donovan got traded to Washington, he wasn't. And in that very first game in 2010, when they were rocking their 1960 vintage uniforms on on a 425 game with Joe and Troy, and Kevin got taken out of the game and Michael Vick came in, I was one of the fans that was cheering because I was like, here we go. This changes things. You, ch- it, it's an energy changer. It's, it's when Tyrod got taken out for Baker, and I still don't know if Baker's a franchise guy. But if you watch that game, you can hear the fans chanting Baker, and when he got put into the game, the whole energy changed, and they beat the Jets on the Thursday night to unlock Bud Light fridges for the whole nation of people who had those. Okay. It just doesn't make sense. And on the other side of the ball, you have maybe one of the best quarterbacks and definitely a Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers, 3,100 pass yards, 33 touchdowns, four picks. Something is wrong with Carson, and I don't know what it is. I can't seem to put my finger on it, whether it's him not getting the ball uh, fast enough, whether it's him not reading defenses correctly, I know I said a couple weeks ago, I want him to stay in the game and I don't want them to put in Jalen Hurts. But now you have to. You have to give your team the best chance to win the game. And when the guy behind you is a rookie and the division is the worst of football we've ever seen, Ryan, the worst division we've ever seen in the history of the NFL, you have to give your team a chance to win and at least make the playoffs. And they're not doing that. It frustrates me as an Eagles fan. It frustrates me as someone who loves and watches the game of football, you know, for my whole life. I don't understand when coaches do this and there's massive, massive uproar to take a guy out and put another one in and they refuse to do it out of some sort of trust in the guy. I don't get it. I feel gross. I'm a little embarrassed to continue to rant about them because at the end of the day, they actually could look back at this season and wonder what if, if they don't win the division, because whether it's Washington, whether it's New York, probably not going to be Dallas at this point, but they're going to look back possibly at this season and say, what would have happened if we would have done it? Because if we get to week 15 or week 16, Ryan, and they put in Jalen Hurts and they win the last two games or they win the last three with Jalen Hurts. That's going to be even worse of a scenario for Doug Peterson as the head coach, even though he did bring a Super Bowl to Philly, then it would have been if he would have benched Carson on Monday night this past week for Jalen Hurts. I had to get it off my chest.
1: <sighs> so I have two thoughts listening to that. One of them is, didn't Tyrod Taylor get benched for Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Justin Herbert?
0: All three of them. Well, well, wait, wait. I'll take the Justin Herbert back because the Justin Herbert wasn't so much as a benching as it's it benching was as up a, by the Chargers doctor.
1: Yeah, so I guess you couldn't call it a, a benching when you get your lung puncture. That's a that's a different scenario. Uh, the other one is, and and I'm I, I promise you I'm not trying to rub this in your face. I, I just I did not realize this. I'm looking right now I have it up beside my meeting here the NFC playoff picture. the Eagles are the second worst team in the NFC right now at three seven and one. only the Cowboys are under them at three and eight. I did not realize that they were the second worst team in that conference and but again this is how historically bad this this division is this year is, is that we're still talking about the potential of these teams could make the playoff.
0: The the best way to describe it is, look, you're a Pittsburgh fan. You're very open about that. I'm an Eagles fan. I'm very open about that. I think we both can
1: agree on that, right? I mean, I I'm black and gold till I die. But <laughs> the 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 problem is the problem is I remember I remember
0: vividly when Donovan McNabb got traded in 2010 to Washington on on Easter Sunday, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what is philadelphia doing like you just took a guy who almost took a two almost took us to a super bowl in 2009 took us to a super bowl in 2005 took us to four nfc championship games you're getting rid of him for essentially nothing what are we doing and it was for kevin cobb because everyone every everyone in the organization especially andy Reid who drafted him thought that he was the guy you you could see in, in in the first play of the green bay game that he wasn't the guy. And keep in mind, remember they signed Donovan McNabb the season before in 2009, and he was the third-string quarterback on that roster. Well, when Donovan McNabb was traded, who was second? Michael. And I remember the Green Bay game vividly. Kevin Cobb gets hit in the head by a concussion from Clay Matthews. Third quarter, about 10 minutes left. Michael Vick comes into that game. It changed the whole atmosphere of the game. And they went on to a historic season. And Michael Vick almost won the MVP that season. In Baker Mayfield on the Thursday night game a couple of years ago, when he was brought in over Tyrod and they won the game. Now it was against the Jets, but when the Browns were as bad as the Browns have been, that was uh, amazing. And, you know, you felt the fans like rallying behind Baker. There has to be something where Doug Peterson says, I got I to gotta put in Jalen. I got to put in Jalen. Because also the another problem with Carson having his injury and Carson not playing as well as he did in his first two seasons, and you can see it in the numbers as well, the knee injury that he had made him more of a pocket passer and he still likes to run the ball. He's not a running quarterback, but Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts wanted Alabama. Jalen Hurts wanted Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts is a second round quarterback for a reason. It's not because they didn't, it's not because they wanted him to sit behind Carson. It's because they wanted him to give Carson maybe a shot in the arm. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that there needs to be a change in order to save the season because of, If any team gets in the playoffs, you're there. You have a shot. And most of the time, coaches who get in the playoffs anyway, they typically save their job by getting in the playoffs. I feel like if Doug Peterson misses out on an historic bad season and he doesn't try to save the season and win the division by putting in Jalen, at least giving it a shot, even with all the money that is invested in Carson, he could be looking at um, himself being possibly fired. I mean, I know that's like a hot take to say, but he could look at himself being fired on the Monday after the season on week 17, all because he didn't try something. Because you have to try and and you have to continue to innovate your offense. And Carson Wentz is just not doing that. So another Eagles rant, another, another one in the books. I mean, I mean.
1: (laughs) In the, in the description, you're going to see where it says Ryan B's weekly Eagles rant. That's that's what I am gonna have it tagged as in there. That's a pretty
0: uh, fair assumption. <laughs> um ending the weekend in, in football, um in the NFC East of all places. Uh Washington Pittsburgh, uh I guess you can consider this a primetime game. I don't know. I mean it's the second um time well, third time this season if you count week one. Um Every time this season, we've had doubleheader on Monday Night Football. Uh, look, it's, it's not ideal, right, like for the teams, but as fans, it's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I think you're like that as well. Uh, but you have Washington, Pittsburgh. Weirdly, these are two teams that are pretty much division leaders. I mean, I know New York right now is ahead of Washington due to the tiebreaker, but this isn't a give a gimme for Pittsburgh. Antonio Gibson, 645 yards on the season, 11 touchdowns. Um, That's pretty good. Terry McLaurin, first in the league in receiving at 963 yards, only three touchdowns on the season. But Pittsburgh, Big Ben, what a season he's having. 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, this game, I mean, between this one and the Bills and Niners, that's probably the best game on Monday.
1: Yeah, well, the thing that I'm most interested in seeing is, because I agree with you, this is – If you've watched Pittsburgh this year, of course, they've had their their good games, but they've also had very bad games, i.e. let's look at uh, the game on Wednesday. And I would like to turn you back to the Cowboys game a few weeks ago. So we seem to struggle. We, again, there I go with the we acting like I'm part of the team. They seem to struggle um, with NFC East teams for some reason this year in the worst division in football. But Washington really is not an easy test. This is a team that's only gotten better as the seasons came along, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And we talked about it in their game against Dallas um, on Thanksgiving night, but, but we're talking about a team that is, is decidedly younger. They're, they're kind of trying to put the pieces together as they move forward. And Alex Smith is kind of what he's always been. Alex Smith is not a, a game changing quarterback, if you will. He's not going to roll out and make some miraculous Patrick Mahomes pass, but he's a game manager. It won him games. When, uh, when the Niners were in San Francisco, it won him games whenever he was in Kansas city. This is not a, this is not a, to say that uh, this is not to say that the Reds or excuse me, the football team, I apologize. The football team is, is just going to ride him to be a game manager to win all these games. But, Pittsburgh could struggle a little bit. And the injury situation hurts with Bud Dupree being out now because he's a good run defender. Uh, also with the potential implications of COVID, if, if Stefan Tuitts not able to play again, that could be affecting. So we'll see. I think Pittsburgh clearly the favorite just based on the season. But I'm, I'm not counting out Washington. I, I think they'll certainly give Pittsburgh a run for their money. They'll give them a good game.
0: Let me ask you this on Pittsburgh because it's the the best start a team has had since the Carolina Panthers team that went 14 and 0 to start a season uh, that made the Super Bowl that season with obviously an MVP, Cam Newton. Um, I feel like Pittsburgh is getting lost in the shuffle a little bit, right? Because of Kansas city, because of Tennessee. I I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're going to go 16 and 0. Don't get me wrong because I think they actually lose to Buffalo in that huge Sunday night matchup after the Washington game, uh, you know, here, here in a week and a half or so. I just, are they getting lost in the shuffle? It feels that way.
1: I think a little bit. And I think that is because even in my, even in my opinion, the chiefs are still the best team in football again. And, and Trey Wingo talked about it in an interview, but until you beat Patrick Mahomes, when it matters, you have to believe that he is still the, still the best player in football. And I think that too. So I think they're getting lost a little bit just because they don't have that flashiness and they're not putting up huge video game numbers. So I think of like Patrick Mahomes' MVP season back a couple years ago where they're blowing out teams um, and he's putting up great numbers. Lamar Jackson even last year with the Ravens, same thing. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh has won some very close games that probably shouldn't have been as close as they were, as we mentioned. So I think that's one reason that they're doing it. Uh, decidedly, in my own bias as a, as a Steeler fan, I want Pittsburgh to lose a game or two, because I don't I don't think that any team should carry the 16-0 pressure going through a playoff, because that's only going to set them up for failure. Uh, the Patriots, obviously being the maybe the greatest team of all time, maybe even better than the 72 Dolphins, but they they didn't do it, and and that's not to say that they couldn't. The Giants played a great game, but they didn't do it. So I, I don't know if that's the answer.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing right now: if they do somehow get to fifteen and zero, and they get to that week, uh, you know, final matchup of the season with Cleveland in Cleveland, that's not an easy win anymore uh, because Cleveland's going to make the playoffs, and that's one of the best stories of the season that I feel like even us, you know, no one's really talking about because of all the stuff in the AFC. That I mean, that I, I think whoever comes out of the AFC. Uh, making the Super Bowl this year will win the Super Bowl. I just feel like that conference is way too deep. And from top to bottom, uh, the league, even on the, you know, the Raiders on the outside, Baltimore on the outside, the depth in that league, especially in the playoff race, is so good. And I feel like if they get to that matchup 15-0, and that's not a spot they want to be in. Because even if they lose that game, that takes pressure off. However, then people have – the the tools to beat Pittsburgh and and what makes it well for them this season. I will say wrapping up Pittsburgh, Washington, I do think outside of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, Pittsburgh probably has the two best wide receivers on one team in the league and uh, in the rookie and chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster. Those two guys really play uh, off the ball. Well,
1: well, and when Deontay Johnson is, is on his best too. I mean, that's a, that's a great trio. Uh, Johnson's maybe even a little bit lost in the shuffle because he's maybe he doesn't have the namesake yet, but if you watch him in the line of scrimmage, he might be the best separation receiver that Pittsburgh has. So big Ben has weapons, but again, I, I think Pittsburgh should I'm not saying that they should tank and lose a game, but I think for their own psyche and their own benefit moving forward, they need to lose at least one going into the playoffs and how big of a win for Cleveland would that be to end a perfect season if it got to that point in, in Cleveland week 17 to, to do that? That that might be a, a banner win, literally a banner win for the Browns to put that on their stadium to say we ended Pittsburgh's perfect season in, in 2020.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that Buffalo matchup, though, um, that Pittsburgh has here in a week and a half, um, We'll talk about that, you know, a couple of episodes from now, but that matchup is so huge going forward, um, especially for Buffalo too, uh, a team that's, you know, the division leader in the AFC North, but Miami's uh, right on their heels, but another one in the books, uh, Ryan, I, you know, I feel like uh, we've had good interviews and uh, you know, good following, but tell the people where can they follow us and listen to us at?
1: Yeah, for sure. follow us to listen to us on Apple and Spotify. Find us there to Ryan Sports Show. But also find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram'll we'll have a lot of information regarding shows, our interviews and clips. TikTok will be doing some of that as well, but we'll also have some just one offs of sports news throughout the week. Uh, Brian and I like to do reaction videos to some of the biggest sports news, so you can always find that there. So make sure you follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Uh, shout out to our one reviewer that's done it so far. We really appreciate you. That's that's very nice of you. Um, I, I have the name here, but I'll leave that off. Um, but find us there. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Follow along and, and get in the conversation.
2: Yeah, and uh, we'll see you guys on Tuesday.
1: Yep, see you guys.